Welcome to Seeds, a show where we talk about purpose with inspiring people making a positive impact with their lives. We are particularly interested in social enterprises and entrepreneurs. We will listen to them reflect on their journeys and take time to dig deeper in order to better understand what really motivates their choices. Well, welcome to the show, everyone. You're listening to Seeds Talking Purpose, and this is Stephen Moe. Today, we get the chance to speak with Michael Trengrove, who founded Code Club, and that's an organization that goes in and teaches young primary school children how to code. Here's an excerpt from the interview with Michael. We'll start discussing what would happen if you mashed uh, coding and technology into a community vegetable garden curriculum. And, you oh, know, yeah. So kids learning how to grow um, carrots, but also learning what the Internet of Things is and how diff- using different senses to read data and look at that data over time to make smart decisions around how we're going to get more yeah. productivity out of this space. Now, in next week's episode, we're going to be speaking with Dorinda Britton about design, and we'll be going into a lot of detail about what the word design actually means. And in the coming weeks, we'll be speaking with Leighton Evans from Rata Foundation, Sam Broughton, who's the mayor of the Selwyn District Council, and also Michael Mayo, who founded Cookie Time and is now involved in a number of different entrepreneurial ventures. Each one of them has a unique story and experiences to share, but the thing that unites them all is this sense of purpose. If you don't want to miss out on those upcoming episodes, then hit subscribe and check out some of the previous episodes because there's a wide variety of other voices who have stories to tell. Now let's get into the interview with Michael. So it's a pleasure to welcome Michael Trengrove here today, who is the founder of Code Club New Zealand. Thank you for joining me. Yeah, thank you, Stephen, for the invite. I know we had um, a bit of trouble at the end of last year. Things got pretty busy, but it's it's really cool to be here. It was a busy time of year. It's probably, you know, Christmas, lead up mm. to Christmas. There's always deadlines, isn't there? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but it's great to have you here. And thank you as well for joining me because as we're talking, it's a beautiful summer day outside. So... I've kind of dragged you into an office. That's but, right. Uh, and we've got the World Busking Festival happening in Christchurch yeah. uh, today and this weekend. So, yeah, awesome time to be out and about. Yeah, it is. Um, so on this podcast, what we do is talk about purpose. But in order to do that, it's helpful to find out um, about people's backgrounds, where they're from, what they've done. And I think that's useful because it usually helps to tell a story about why they do what they do now. Um, so what we'll do is go back right to the beginning of your life and then I'm really excited to talk about Code Club because mm. I think it's just an amazing initiative and, and teaching kids to code and you know that's the future so really want to get into the detail on that but to start with just for you know for our listeners your background where are you from? So yeah so I'm from uh, North Otago grew up on a uh, on a farm down there um, yep. and yeah, my, my schooling life, my education was out at a small country school. It was really quite incredible, yeah. you know, growing up in, in, in that space. And, you know, my kids are going to a great school now in the city. But what we had out there was completely different. Yeah. Which part of North Otago were you in? Which city? Or? Yeah, on the Waitaki Plains. Okay. So Papakaio, between Papakaio and Is that and true? Yeah. No. It, I went to Papakaio School. No, you didn't. I what? did. I what? did. No, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not making this up. We moved there in 1984 till 86. 86. Yeah. Okay. So we yeah. moved into the district 1991. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Well, that is uh, one of those coincidences. It's a <laughs> t- 
tiny place, funny. isn't it? Yeah. 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 My father um, got a job on the Waitaki River. He yep. was helping to raise salmon, a okay. hatchery for ah, fish awesome. there. Yeah. So we moved into the area. So we lived just from the school down a few kilometers. There was an old Presbyterian church. Yeah. And our house was next to that. Oh, and wow. then there was sheep, and that's it. Yeah. <laughs> there was yeah. not much around, but yeah, yeah. No, we're, well, we're alumni then, maybe. <laughs> there we go, and we will know many of the same families. Yeah, there. I'm yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah, farming families. Yeah. yeah. So that was, um, you know, it's pretty isolated out there. I guess it's it's a bit of a bubble. So going into into what you know we considered town and Domaru to mm. uh, Waitaki Boys was um, a pretty big move for me, and. Um, I often look back at that time and look at what I'm doing now, mm-hmm. helping lead a educational charity and working in the, in, in the education space. And really, I was not very academic. Mm-hmm. I, I struggled a lot during high school linking um, the ideas and the concepts I was learning in the class with how that would be worked out practically. What, what would be the use for that? How do you kind of deconstruct it? And I guess... Um, teachers weren't necessarily doing that in a way that would help me understand. So I actually dropped out of school pretty young. Mm. I was 15. And um, just as I turned 16, left school and yep. did what? So that was at Waitaki Boys at High Waitaki School? Boys, yeah. 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 So um, after high school, just began working on it. You know, my parents said, look, you know, we'd love you to stay at school, but if you can find yourself a job, we'll support you. So yeah, found myself a job on a local dairy farm mm. and um, yeah, began my working career. Wow. And at, at that time, did you have some subjects that you did enjoy in school more than others? Or was it, was it all a, a negative experience there? I would say there were um, subjects that I, that I really enjoy now mm. that I, I, I didn't really understand then. Right. Um, certainly some subjects I was turned off. So technology, IT, I mean, I just thought that was the worst thing you could do. That was just the geeks. You'd see these you know these geeks we would put into the into the loser box and they were in in the computer lab during the um during lunch times of yep. course these people are all, um multi-millionaires now and richer <laughs> than all of us but um at, at that time i really didn't understand i don't think the school system was doing such a good job at portraying what you know what this stuff is really all about yeah yeah, no, I find it fascinating because I'm researching right now um, Sir Angus Tate, oh, yes. who founded yep. Tate Communications. Yeah, you may or may not know this, but he went to Waitaki Boys no, High not. School, and he dropped out, I think, at 15 or 16 okay. <laughs> to go. What he did is he then went and worked in a radio shop, okay. which back in the 19 late 1920s, 1930s, was quite yep. a brand new technology. Okay, um, I'm pulling together a history of his life. So it's just an ironic thing that you yeah, went to the yeah. same school, yeah. same age. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. So you're on a dairy farm then? How, how long did you do that yeah, for? Yeah, so a couple of years. And then after that, bounced into the ski industry, became a snowboard instructor down in Wanaka. All right. And um, got some families to work it, working in the ski, um, or, or I guess the adventure uh, industry. Um, and then traveled um, and age 23 wound up um, living in the Brazilian Amazon, uh, working on a community development project through okay. a whole bunch of, uh, I guess, coincidences. Um, but What yeah. were some of the key coincidences there? Because that sounds quite different to snowboard instructor in Wanaka. Yeah, I, th- I, I think um, I've, I've always had quite a, uh, I guess, entrepreneur, entrepreneurial bent. I've, uh, you know, I love adventure. Yeah. I love that type of uh, travel, but I also love um, 
you know, being able to help people or being able to offer services or tools that can help families and, you know, entire villages or communities. Um, So learning about the project down there and actually um, um, at that time, my first wife had just worked there for six months and come back to New Zealand and we met here and Ah. all of that um, and ended up, yeah, back there aged 23, newly married right in the northern Amazon, just below the border with French Guyana. Actually, in the same area, exactly the same area where Sir Peter Blake was killed. Oh. We actually had some of the the guy, one of the murderer's mothers was involved in a program huh. in our community development project. So. Wow. And what sort, of, what sort of environment is it? In my mind, I'm picturing sort of jungle and river. Yeah. Um, is that a correct image or what was it like? Yeah, no, it's very much uh, like that. So... Obviously, you know, globally, there's been mass migration into the cities mm. and, and Brazil's no exception and the northern Brazil and the Amazon's no exception. So Macapá is the largest city in the state of Amapá and has undergone, you know, massive population growth. But it's still quite small, about the size of Christchurch. Mm. Um, but 20 minutes out of the city, you're in the jungle. Wow. Or you can jump on a boat and travel for an hour and you're in communities where, you know, if children haven't left, they've never seen a car. Wow. So it's very different to coming from New Zealand. <laughs> Completely and, different. Yeah. But I think growing up here and growing up on a farm really sets you up well to be able to achieve yeah. in that space. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's excellent. So what was the main focus of the group that you were involved in there? What were you doing sort of day to day? Was yeah. it? So we had a uh, mobile medical clinic. Okay. Uh, my uh, first wife is a nurse, so she had fundraised for that. and mm. We'd fundraised together. And then we also... Uh, partnered with um, the University of Calgary um, and the COST uh, group there, the Centre for Affordable Water Treatment and Sanitation. So we had a um, a, a biosand water filter that we sort of had a mould that we would teach local uh, councils how to make, and it's super cheap, $20, and the family have a water filter that is excellent quality, and it, you can't break it. Wow. So you so you come in there, and is it what you expected when you, you know, before you went? Is it what you were contributing and what you were doing? Is that sort of how it ended up playing out, or was it different? I really went there without um, understanding what my role would be in the project. So mm. at the time, we were just looking at a mobile medical clinic. I can drive a four-wheel drive. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> uh, but the, the water filter thing really came about through some other connections we made and just looking at, what are the key problems? What's the biggest thing that we could do to help, you know, give a family a leg up? Um, mm. And th- there are other things we were doing as well, but um, but that know, was the main focus: basic yeah. uh, healthcare, and then you know, being able to get good jobs, yeah. bring in money. And mm. That's what these people needed. Mm. And had you spoken some Portuguese before that, or was it kind of hitting the ground and having to learn that? I spoke zero Portuguese, right. never studied another language. I grew up in North Otago, and at that time, the you know, dairy farming hadn't really taken off, so there wasn't you know, migration of other cultures and languages. So right. initially, it was very tough, but after three years, left speaking pretty fluent. Right, right. Oh, okay, so that was what you were there for, the three yeah. years. Yeah. 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 Oh. That's fascinating, though. I I think um, lots of the people that I end up interviewing, there often is this sort of overseas experience that mm. that has helped to shape what came later. Um, is that an experience that you look back on that has kind of shaped your worldview? Oh, um, I think incredibly so. The 
the whole experience, it's, you know, you think of the Amazon, but it's really like kind of the frontier of the world. You know, mm. if, if you imagine what the Wild West was like in the States, maybe in the early 1800s, mm. in some ways, it's not too dissimilar from that. There's the rule of law exists down south. Um, right. There's, you know, the land still hasn't been registered. You, you can't legally buy a parcel of land where we were. You can pay someone to move off it. You can move on. But, wow. um, you yeah. know, so it's still that type of development going on yeah and what did you do after the end of three years there like you'd been immersed in the culture and the language yeah. and how do you make a decision to sort of leave that or you know move on yeah d decided to come back to New Zealand um, and look at you know what was next for me and at that point my options were really I could go back dairy farming or I could uh, look at university study mm. and um, it's actually my uh brother-in-law arrived home from a surf trip and he'd been into a surf shop and there was a little brochure from the software and IT degree at Lincoln on the counter when he was buying some surf wax and he grabbed it, gave it to me and um, yeah, it, it, it was quite a logical decision. It seemed like a good area to get into. Everyone had talked about what IT is, you know, it's a mm. well-paying job and it's a good career. Didn't mm. really know about it. Um, I was quite fearful at the same time. University, I'd never passed any real tests or exams mm, yeah. um that, that was quite a quite a process mentally to to begin believing in myself mm. um but so enrolled and the first ever um test i think i lost two nights of sleep waiting for the results oh really <laughs> but it, it came back at like you know 95 or 96 percent or something. yeah so, okay you can, I do, can, this. I can <laughs> do this yeah oh that's great so you did that at lincoln so i did that at lincoln yeah. and um yeah, it was really during that time I was um, I was involved in the Microsoft Imagine Cup, um, which is a global, I guess, programming competition for students. And you pitch nationally. We had to pitch against 80 different teams mm -hmm. here in New Zealand. Mm -hmm. And we ended up winning the event and going to the world finals and representing New Zealand. And the whole, the whole concept, uh, I guess, the time in Brazil had really shaped some of my thinking. And mm. so we developed an, a mobile application or a tablet application, actually, and this was before the iPad came out, about mm. two years, and um, and it was designed to teach illiterate adults and children how to read and write and sort of take away the need to have a skilled professional to teach. Hmm. Um, so, so, yeah, there, that so, was a pretty so cool there, experience. So there was actually a link, though, back to what you were doing in yep. Brazil in the way that maybe your mindset was That's right. about yep. education, and, and which I think we're coming to, yep. that Code Club, of course, fits naturally in that stream as yeah. well yeah so what years are we talking about so when talking you're studying? 2007 to 2009 so i guess yeah. I, I should should also add during that time um you know obviously my uh mind was open to what technology is all about you know from software up and um I was just blown away by what it was actually all about. I couldn't believe that I wasn't told this at high school. Right. This is really what you can do. You can create these incredibly impactful, scalable solutions. Yeah. And you just need this skill set. And then you bring some of these other people in. And all of a sudden, you've got a startup. And you can go from there. And so it was during that time I began thinking that if we just began actually sharing and communicating what this industry is all about to you know right down to younger school-age students they're going to have a different different attitude and mm. obviously um, pitching to their parents as well who, mm. who are the biggest influences on you know, what children are initially interested in yeah we could actually you know begin to bring in a lot more people into the industry so it was mm. during my time studying and obviously you hear a lot about the skill shortage 
in New Zealand and globally. Mm. I was like, well, we can do something about Maybe this. Maybe we could remedy this and mm. at the same time address your own personal experience of that it wasn't very attractive when you were yeah. studying as well, right? Exactly. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. And did you know what you wanted to do when you're studying there and learning about computer science and programming and things like did you have a career that you thought this is where it's going to lead to or um i can't i can't say i did um being i i guess i'm quite uh ambitious i like to you know i i get bored quite easily Mm. um i'm I'm not so structured in my I, i i guess my you know trying to put together a career path um but i knew i wanted to be in in the tech space i you know I knew that I wanted to work with people creating solutions that help other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that that was kind of where my mindset was at when I left university. Mm. And what did you end up doing at that time? Yep. So I ended up working for Trimble Navigation here in Christchurch, mm-hmm. uh, which was a, a, you know, my first ever time working in an office right. at a desk, <laughs> kind of like 2029. 20, yep. um, so that was, a, that was a pretty big shift. Um, a shift for me at that stage. Um, Quite different to the Amazonian jungle. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and after Trimble, went and worked at um, Orion Health, which at that time, uh, 2012, was really growing mm. quickly. I think I started there. There were 400 staff. When I left, 24 months later, there were 1,200 staff. Wow. Um, so it was, it was during my time at Orion Health, uh, the CEO Ian McRae had kind of instigated this. Um, google time mm. where you could work on projects and you know any project you wanted mm. um and they actually had this this week called scratcharama mm. where you could gather a team together and work on any product you want with the the only stipulation was you had to pitch it to management at the end of the week and then the managers picked the top three and um they they all got turned into uh products or you know got a product roadmap I built see. for them yeah was that something that had been introduced as you were there or had it been going I, I for a while? I think it had been going or? for a year or two Okay, at, at, at that point. Yeah. So, And you mentioned Google. Is that because they'd been doing it for a while? Is that yeah, so Google as an organization, I guess, was one of the first major tech companies yeah. to um, look at where innovation comes from, what motivates staff, and um, you know how to increase engagement. So yeah. Google had and, and still does have 20% time where staff, you know, Gmail, Maps... Um, um, you know, a, a lot of the most, the, the biggest revenue generating products for Google all came from um, 20% time. Right. Ah. So what was it that you thought you'd work on in that time? We didn't call it Code Club, right. but we thought, well, why don't we put together an initial, um, not curriculum, but a little mini coding school uh, with some lessons. And why don't we go and... Um, pitch at a school and see if there are any kids that actually want to learn to code. And you know, at that time, I was the the test lead here in Christchurch. And you know, we would advertise for roles and get maybe seventy applications, of which two or three were from New Zealand and maybe one from Christchurch, if mm. we were lucky. And the rest were all international, which is cool. You know, we have you know, um, you know, people from all different countries and things, um, which is great. But you know, seeing uh, you know, a young couple come over from another country, maybe Sri Lanka or something, you know, awesome people doing really well in the industry and looking at, you know, and after two or three years working together, you know, buying their first home and then contrasting that with some of the other students that I knew that had graduated here in Christchurch and struggling to find work. 
mm. and, and struggling to make enough, um, you know, to 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 be able to make the choices they wanted to to in their life. So we thought, well, one way to you know get students and uh, people choosing to study IT would be just to go out there. Right. So we went over to the eastern suburbs in Christchurch, and we went to Aranui High, and we did a single pitch, the first ever pitch talking about what's now Code Club, and the teachers were um, a little reluctant. They were nervous. They warned us that potentially no one would want to join our, our little club. Hmm. And so we pitched and said, we're starting the first club session next Tuesday, sign up in the... Um, in the careers room at the back and we had 80 students out of wow. 400 that came and signed up and several teachers i was like wow people are there's a demand here <laughs> there's a real demand and you know yeah. we weren't talking about computer science we we're talking about um you know a create a creative craft where you can you can build things that yeah. can truly scale and change the world you can you know you, you can create medical tools that can help millions of people you can create um uh, tools that can twist and bend music you can you can um, create things that you're passionate passionate about and share that, you know, with a global audience yeah. instantly. And kids seem to seem to get it. So, what year was that? That was 2012. Right. Yeah. And that decision to go in was that with uh, some other people as well? You went in and yeah. Gave so, that pitch, so we had a. This was part of our Scratcharama project at Orion Health. Yeah. Um, so, yep, yeah, we went in there, and then I think the following day we pitched our idea to management, and we actually uh, were selected as the winning idea hmm. um so we got quite a lot of attention and support and we actually got a bit of cash to set up the first physical club right in aranui mm-hmm. um and that just really got the ball rolling yeah and what do you think was it that made there to be such a positive response you know 80 out of 400 is pretty good pretty good hit rate for the first pitch that's right well i i i just think it's it's talking about taking the knowledge and applying it right and i think that's you know i think humans tend to link the ideas at that point and and especially students um and that's how my brain works so yeah that's great and then um the name code club that has to do with something that's overseas as well doesn't it that's right talk us through that sure so i think it was during that week we discovered that this thing called code club had just launched in the uk Mm. and it had launched about three months before and they had 20 or 30 clubs um we we hadn't yet fully landed on the name Code Club, um, and we were still looking at well, what's our strategy to help roll this out in New Zealand? And it was like three weeks after that Scratcharama project, we saw Code Club in the UK had four hundred and fifty clubs. Wow! I'm like what? How how is that working? <laughs> so we um, ended up contacting them and getting in touch and talking about if we could use their model and their materials. And uh, Claire Sutcliffe, who's the founder of Code Club over there, was like, absolutely, this mm-hmm. is what we're dreaming about. Would love to see this go. Yeah, we want to see it go global. New Zealand, wonderful. You're on the opposite side of the world, but it's great if you can do it. So we were one of the first countries to pick up the model and run with it. And we had a very similar experience, launched a website. Mm. um, And it just allowed IT professionals who are interested in volunteering an hour a week to very easily link themselves with a school, primary school interested in having some assistance to get a co-club going. Yeah. That's great. So that was quite soon after you'd done that initial pitch then, it sounds like. Yep, yep. The whole thing started, the ball started rolling very quickly. And I think I even, during the pitch, said, look, I, I think we're going to be, odd class, we're successful when we have a, a co-club open in Gore. Right. 
and it was it was a matter of months before a club had opened there and we had a club in town now and we had a club on the west coast and and it just started mushrooming from there yeah snowball yeah, yeah. That's great. So that's a couple of years ago now, as we're recording yep. this, it's early 2018. That's Hard right. to believe, but yep. there we go. Um, so just talk us through the next couple of years, I guess. What were some of the high points as, yep. because it's now, that's like a six year journey. Yeah. So. Yep. so we started with very little structure, no structure. Um, we had just a small amount of money um, that we were initially given from Orion Health. I ended up leaving Orion um, and, and became just a private contractor so I could split my time between um, co-club and working in IT and have a bit more control over that. Um, so initially we established a company, mm-hmm. um, not really knowing what we're doing. We had um, actually our, the, we had two companies support us and Winyard had just started at that point okay. and Winyard thought what we were doing was great so they gave us a bit of cash and um, and sourced IT here in, here in Christchurch a, a, and also some local recruitment company gave us some money so that was enough just to mm. you know cover the flights around the country and some of the you know expenses that come with that just mm. to begin um, sharing the word mm. um, it was really end of 2014 beginning of 2015 that we thought this makes much more sense to right. establish a charitable trust and get a, a board in place and really look at raising um, the larger amounts of money to really help, you know, do this thing justice. Yeah. And I guess that's where, it, as a lawyer, it's interesting to me, the structures, but, you know, you're if you're going for funding, mm. it's quite hard to get it if you're a limited liability company, yeah. isn't it, yeah. as opposed to a charity? Yeah. 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 And here in New Zealand, the, the process of establishing the charitable trust, you know, it's pretty straightforward. All the information's out there. Yeah. Um, we actually had you guys help us um, yeah. get the, the trustee set up. And, and, and we have Chris, one of your partners on our board as well, which has yeah. been awesome. Yeah. Awesome source of uh, all. Yeah, awesome yeah well, he's, a, he's a great guy. He's very balanced in, in his approach and he'll yeah. tell you what he thinks. And, you know, that's the type of person you need on a board, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So just thinking about that time, mm. um, you, you said that you'd left, you'd left Orion Health yeah. and you were devoting part of your time to this. Yeah. Like, it's quite a big commitment. Um, yeah. you, how did, at what point did you realize that you believed it in, in it enough to take the step of working so fully on it? Yeah, so it's always been a, a bit of a step of faith to, to jump fully into co-club. Mm. And um, initially, I probably jumped a little bit too soon. We, mm-hmm. we, hit, we I, I thought we were close to getting funding. We're always close to getting funding. Right. <laughs> um, you know, I just believed so much in the idea that I thought things have to fall into place. The government mm. or private industry or philanthropic organizations surely yeah. get what we're trying to do here and will fund us. So, um, you know, I stepped out for a couple of months working full time. Funding didn't come. Mm. Um, so beginning yeah, in 2015, had to, you know, step back into a full time mm. work in mm-hmm. the tech industry, mm-hmm. um, which was very difficult because Co-Club was growing a lot at that point. Mm. I think we, you know, we started 2015 with about 40 clubs and ended you know, with 120. So, wow. you know, just commu- keeping the comms going. That's that curve. It's yes. kind of going this direction, isn't it? Up to, up and to the right. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. right. Um so the workload was heavy. Uh, available time to to put into it was, mm. you know, got three young kids as well. Yeah. So it was tough. It was really really tough. But at the end of 2015, we found out we'd finally been successful for our first major grant from um, MB. Mm. So 2016, stepped back full time into Co Club, mm-hmm. and I think during the first six months, we grew from 120 clubs to 240 clubs, mm. just 
word of mouth and being able to actually have time to invest back and support the volunteers. We have the most amazing community mm. of volunteers around around the country. Some of the smartest people you'll ever met who will consistently give up one to two hours a week wow. and go down to their local primary school and just spend that time with a group of kids supporting the teacher. And, you know, we've had some volunteers that are, you know, two to three years in and, and just amazing people. Yeah. It's so awesome to see people giving back to their community that way as well and probably recognizing in the kids that they're helping something of themselves, right? Like Absolutely. The, I think the, every every tech professional I've met has got a story of yeah. who's helped them along the way. And, right. And, and I think uh, software and, and tech is... is you know, if you're successful in that space, you know you need to keep learning. You, right. you as soon as you think you know it all, you're you're on the downward spiral yeah. there. So having that attitude come into the classroom as well, where you know these guys might have 10, 20 years experience, but mm. to say I still learn new things every day, mm. I think it's very powerful for the students and the mm. teacher to see that and help, you know, help classrooms move to a more decentralized model of learning mm. is something that's quite exciting to see mm. happen. Because the other element there is it's beyond just the, the coding that's being taught. It's the yep. example that's being set by the person who's there teaching, right? I think that's what you're getting at is that the kids are coming along and they're seeing working professionals who do IT as a living. And then, oh, that maybe I could do that too. Absolutely. And, you know, we're not about developing a generation of programmers or a generation of hackers or people who are just dead keen on programming it's about learning some of that basic skill but it's more about understanding scale understanding you know modern technology how it hooks together understanding what an api is how to read to it how to mm. write to it mm. and you know we run meetups around the country and i was um Reminded of one we ran last year down in Wanaka, and there's a very successful um, investor down there who's done very well. And he came along and shared that as a kid, he learned to code, but he had never worked as a programmer, but it enabled him to make decisions with more confidence quicker than his peers because he understood how the stuff hooked together. Mm. Um, so I think more than anything, that that's what we're about. Seeing, we want to see... Um, use you know fast growing new zealand businesses and see young kiwis behind them um having the confidence to do that mm -hmm. so i've been listening to a podcast recently masters of scale by the uh, founder of linkedin i'm not sure if you've you've, mm. you've listened to i it. haven't listened to that one but i'll find out the details yeah. but um i was thinking you know it's these little mini masters of scale that mm. we're after it's these kids who understand enough to be dangerous they know how to get uh coding libraries from from the internet they know how to link it up to their own code they know they understand who needs to be in the playground to be able to build something mm. and i think more than anything that's what we're about about enabling these kids to know what it takes to um, turn their idea into reality right yeah so some people are listening who uh, maybe haven't come across code club like mm. what what's the sort of the elevator pitch like what is it exactly that would happen on a practical level? You know, it, we've talked about schools, we've talked about yeah. mentors or people coming in to help teach, but what yeah. does it look like? Take a hypothetical school or something. Because yeah. also some people listening may be thinking, that sounds awesome, we need it at Absolutely. our school. So just talk us through what exactly is going on. Yeah, sure. So uh, Code Club's about giving every Kiwi child the opportunity to learn to code and... Um, the Ministry of Education has now rolled out uh, or is in the process of rolling out new curriculum um, around programming, computer science, um, digital technologies. So Code Club's about um, 
enabling this to start in the schools. So a school will say, uh, I've heard about coding, I'm hearing about this digital technologies thing that's coming. We're freaked out. I don't know what that means. Mm. I've heard of Code Club. I can jump on codeclub.nz. Um, I can register my interest in running a club. Mm-hmm. So they'll just jump on and in 20 seconds, their club's registered. And at that point, they can just sit there or they can proactively through the club and our system just reach out um, through a Clifford button to volunteers who have marked themselves as interested and available. Um, so the system really just links those two people together right? And, and magic happens from there. Wow. And then on a practical level, it would be what, after school hours yep. from 4 till 4.30? Or, so uh, club sessions designed to run um, just for an hour. Mm-hmm. Some clubs run an hour and a half or two hours. but mm-hmm. So it's an hour a week and can happen after school at a time that's suitable for the volunteer. Mm-hmm. Or we're seeing more and more club sessions happening during the school day. Right. Volunteers come or a club will start after school. The teacher... The fear factor will be removed. I'm like, ah, I might start one of these during during the class as mm. well. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. And in terms of numbers today, as we're mm. talking, it's late January 2018. Yep. What sort of figures are you at? Now? Yeah, so we're at um, just under 300 clubs. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a very busy time of year, so we have a lot of new clubs and volunteers registering right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's around 20 to 25 students a club. So. Mm. Mm. Um, pretty good numbers of students that are involved every week, but we would love to see CoClub available to every student in the country. So our, our goal is to continue continue to grow until we reach that point. Mm. Yeah. And how do you go about getting your message out to other people? Ah, well, we've just um, employed two uh, amazing new uh, community support administrators who we've got uh, Sarah based up in uh, Wellington and Kate Allen based down here in Christchurch. So Sarah and Kate are doing an amazing job um, reactivating the social media this year. So mm-hmm. we do a lot through social media mm-hmm. and then just uh, con- contacting schools themselves. But really, we haven't nailed it yet, but we, um, if someone out there's got a great idea of how we can reach parents, right? Um, that's 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 a nut we're still trying to crack. Yeah, because it's interesting because like the kids may be learning and then they may come home and it's almost like they've, well, we talked about languages before, mm. you know, you went to Brazil and then you learned yep. Portuguese and you're kind of teaching the kids this new way of thinking and things they are coming home. There probably is that intergenerational difference, isn't there? And is it is that something that you can start to focus on at some point, you know, teaching parents as well? Absolutely. And, and building that community of support as well. So mm. just without jumping onto teaching um, adults yet, uh, it's really building that support around the children and especially in some of the Tadeo and Maori schools that we're working in, really building that community supports. Uh, it's been a few lessons learned, but once you know the, the 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 parents and the grandparents understand what this coding thing is, things really begin to take off at that point. Mm. Mm. So we um, coming back to parents, we don't yet offer co club for adults. We get asked that a lot, right? But we're staying focused on. Uh, children at this stage, primarily primary school age children, Mm. but we are looking at um, and have been running teacher training. So the adults we teach are uh, registered primary school teachers and um, we ran several terms last year with um, really incredible feedback. So we're just now looking at getting that scheduled for the the upcoming terms here here Mm. in New Zealand. Mm. That's great. And what's your vision for, you know, like five years from now? Yes. What are you hoping? Yeah, so this year the um, the projects we've got on are really really exciting. We've mm-hmm. got um, we're working on a, a high tech veggie garden. So so Code Club really is one of the core activities of our charity. Um, something we're looking 
at and this is the uh, another link with uh, papakaya school and, okay. and the area there uh, um, ian and gloria hurst mm-hmm. um, live down there they're quite well known in the area and gloria started a community vegetable garden project ah. a couple of years ago and i went down there to speak at the papakaya school 150th right. anniversary okay uh, several months ago and got talking to gloria i was like wow what would we started discussing what would happen if you mashed uh, coding and technology into a community vegetable garden curriculum. And, Ooh, you know, yeah. So kids learning how to grow um, carrots, but also learning what the Internet of Things is and how diff- using different sensors to read data and look at that data over time to make smart decisions around how we're going to get more yeah. productivity out of this space. We sort of put the idea on a page and um, this was late last year but mm. since we've had um, Microsoft philanthropies out of Seattle get behind us to run a pilot and uh, partner with Spark Foundation mm. so that's that's a project that, that's quite hot at the moment and we're getting yeah. a lot of interest from schools you know they hear about the internet of things um, and, and and big data but no one really knows what it is so yeah. this idea of being able to teach sustainable um, horticulture um, in the school curriculum, along with programming with a hands-on Internet of Things project, which has a start point and an point. They plug the sensor in here. Yeah. They jump on their phone or their, their laptop, and they can see the data um, and begin to make decisions about it. So we're really excited about that. Yeah, um, that's, that's great because I love the, um, the combination there of the organicness mm. of growing vegetables or you know <laughs> yeah um so watching your carrots grow and your cabbages or whatever but then also bringing in the technology side of things and working out how that can interact and actually teaching them to be entrepreneurial through that right absolutely mm-hmm. and um you know and making the data available to others sharing their data um and you know they can also check that from the home parents can come in and it becomes this community involved project um which is very easy to talk about um we also see, you know, looking at uh, um, other revenue streams for co-clubs, very, very important. So mm-hmm. we can't just rely on government and philanthropy. They're awesome and mm-hmm. they've given us great support. But having sustainable revenue streams is something we're, we're really excited about exploring further this year. Mm-hmm. We are also looking at supporting, beginning to support um, islands in the Pacific. So we've got an outreach in uh, July in Apia in mm-hmm. Samoa, where we want to partner with local government and run a series of co-clubs um, a- across schools there, and then look at finding a, a national coordinator that we can help support. So we built a website last year with the whole idea that we can kind of go copy and paste mm-hmm. and say, well, here's co-club Samoa get going in your schools here's co-club fiji so um yeah that's a good idea yeah so it's going to become more than just focused here on new zealand it's kind of expanding there yeah 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 yeah. so whether we um keep that with the co-club name not quite sure yet Mm. where we'll be in five years but Mm. there's um yeah there's a a bunch of exciting projects we know um you know in five years we want to have um uh, sustainable funding we want you know we in, in in five years we clearly want to have co-club accessible to every student in the country yeah and you know that'll be 10 years from when we launch we have our first students um graduating university right at, at that point as well so we want to see some startups that'd be a great legacy wouldn't it if you if people come out with ideas and they say well actually i first got into it back at code club <laughs> <That's> <laughs> when i was young primary school it's absolutely the goal it's um so we're beginning to look at ways to um remain in contact um with our past alumni and 
um, and begin to report on, mm. you know, the stats. Who who's been through a yeah. co club when they were ten has now chosen to study IT or started a company in high school. Right. Um, and hey, do you want to come back and mentor the next generation? Right. Absolutely. <laughs> That's absolutely. awesome. And just the the funding streams. I'm fascinated in that because yep. you probably know I'm really into social enterprise. Yes. That term, you know. Yep. Because I think you're right that you, it, it can be a danger to rely too much on funding, yeah. um, grant type of funding. Um, so would you consider yourself a social enterprise or is that something you're aiming for at some point? I think the day still? we receive our first dollar from a product we've offered on the market, I'll begin calling us a social enterprise. Yeah. Um, and I am you know, really hope we can stay under the charitable umbrella mm -hmm. and believe we totally can um yeah. we, we don't really want to have to split our resource or resources or to split the admin of two different orgs but um yeah uh, absolutely that that's the, the direction that that we want to begin heading in yeah well it's great to hear about what you're doing i think it's fantastic for kids to have that opportunity you know that wouldn't necessarily be open to them um i have an it question for you sure can you describe to me in 30 seconds or so <laughs> apis okay because it's a term that I hear all the time, people hear all the time, mm. but I think many of us are wondering what exactly are they and mm. how does it all work? Mm. Okay. So without thinking, I would describe it as an entry and exit point for data that has a defined structure. Mm -hmm. So um, if I hold up one hand that can receive data, um, I publish the format that I will receive it in. Mm -hmm. So on the other side, I can read that format. I can format my data and um, send the request across. Um, the API receive that request and respond with a yep, got it, or respond with a result. So CodeClub's a great example. We um, teach Python programming. So we've got 10, 11, 12-year-old kids. Um, we have an awesome project that's around tracking the International Space Station. Mm. And um, uh, NASA has some great APIs that, that kids can throw data at and get coordinates back. So we, mm. we request the location um, of the International Space Station, and then the kids plot that on, on a global map. Mm -hmm. And then every second they ask for the next location, the next location. Right. And the API responds with, I'm here, I'm here, yeah. I'm here. Ah, I see. So it's a bit like a tennis player hitting a tennis ball back every time Absolutely. when it's hit to them. Yeah. yeah. So I'm involved in the 2018 census project at the moment, and, okay. and that's going to be fully online this year. Ah. So it kicks off in a couple of weeks. So um, there's a website and simplifying it but basically there's just a published api on the stats side that the website's going to talk to yeah. and it's really just become the industry standard mm. yeah oh that's good i'm just i was just curious to hear your take on it because i mm. think it's a word that's thrown around a lot and um yeah it's just good to hear that well i, I think so as well and um you know many teachers will also s struggle with some of these concepts that are pretty f fundamental to the way we do things in yeah. tech, but um, just having kids as you know normal language. I you know I wrote to the NASA API, and and I know how to plot something up. Sure. I know how to receive that and do something with it is pretty magic. Yeah, yeah, no, that's great. It's well, it's all about education, isn't it? And yeah. not just for kids, for others. And acronyms yeah. can often get in the way. Like they're meant to simplify things because everybody mm. knows what the acronym stands for. Yeah. But then the problem is that the acronym itself acts as a barrier because people are thinking, what What are you talking about? So, yeah, that's good. And just I'm curious as well because I know you were very involved for a while with Canterbury Tech. Oh, yes. Um, how did you get involved in that? Yes. So I got I got shunted on to Canterbury Tech because my employer at that time wanted to, my boss basically wanted to step down mm -hmm. and said, oh, would you like to 
step up uh, and it's something you don't say no to <laughs> if your boss encourages you to do that so um began to learn about canterbury tech it's like oh this thing's awesome it's about promoting yeah. the local tech industry in christchurch and canterbury mm. it's about helping build profile mm. and supporting the local industry by providing networking events and you know having interesting speakers come mm. in and share their wealth of knowledge so i uh, got voted on um it was the first sort of large committee that I, i'd ever been involved in mm. and i think after the my second year became deputy chair and then my third year became chair mm-hmm. um so we and, and it was growing during that time i'm taking it yeah we yep and there was a lot of changes as well i, th- mm-hmm. I think the thing i'm most proud of is where the tech summit's at now so mm-hmm. we run the south island's largest um, technology conference it's just a one-day event and yeah. it's really a massive networking event on steroids but yeah. um, gets great feedback and it's just a great chance to get the entire community together for a day mm-hmm. in the south island and you know learn from some of the best globally in, in the industry yeah yeah, it's a great event. I mean, we're members of Canterbury Tech, as you know, and have been along and presented at different things. And um, the Canterbury Tech Summit that we were at, not this last year, but the year yep. before, like it was a really fun experience to be part of that and then to um, meet so many people through that. Yep. What sort of numbers are they getting through, like the last one? We're, actually, we're, that was where I first said, hey, do you want to come on the podcast, I think? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I remember first meeting you a couple of years ago and, and, and as you were looking at becoming a bit more active in the tech yeah. space so it's really cool seeing where things are at with yeah. perry field now as well and yeah, yeah. and 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 the mark you're beginning to make yeah in this space um yeah so the the, the numbers get capped actually because there's right. only so many people we can let in the space yeah. and because of um space availability in christchurch we don't have many options so i yeah. think it's about 750 there last year mm-hmm. yeah that's a pretty big event for mm. uh, for for South Island to yep, for everybody absolutely. to come together and yeah. to organise with mostly a volunteer crew. Yeah, um, but we have uh, Nina Lamb helps out, which and she's just been incredible yep. year on year. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And I, I have a question, which I'm not sure if this will make it into the podcast, but I'm just curious: hmm. what's it like to introduce the Prime Minister? <laughs> <laughs> well, that I, I think that 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 was a real highlight. I remember my yeah. uh, the morning of that. Yeah. Uh, so we had John Key coming, and it was a bit of a secret because uh, you know we couldn't announce right. it in the media he was coming. Right. And I told my wife he was coming, and you know I just suspected my wife would really want to come along and see me introduce him onto the stage. And, yeah, yeah. And I learned she had other plans to, right. you know, to do. And I was like, "What are you doing?" She's like, "Well, I've got a life too, you know." <laughs> like, oh man! But I managed this is my to, highlight. <laughs> I managed to convince her to come along. Yeah. Uh, so that was really cool because actually Code Club kicked off with right. um, at Orion Health, and we ran an event a couple of weeks later, and the office had opened in Auckland and the prime minister was there Okay, and we wrote this little JavaScript thing and, you know, for the, the media tagline, prime minister writes, hello world. And we got him to write hello world. And I see. So, yeah. so it was quite fun on the stage just being able to remind him of that event and, you know, and, and sort of introduce him to the tech tech community like that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's great. I mean, not many of us get that chance, I think. So mm. I was just curious, you know, and, um, is there a bit of nerves involved when someone like that's coming along to your event? Or I don't do know. Just... At, that, at that point, there was enough going on in the day. I think yeah. uh, it was just one of, one of, yeah, the, it's I wasn't, just time wasn't, to get up on the stage now. And wasn't too nervous at <laughs> that one. Not sure why. Yeah. Oh, that's great. And, um, so apart from that, are there other things that you're involved in? Like has Brazil continued to play a part in your life over the years yeah well, we've actually just returned from three weeks in the amazon mm. and went back and visited the area mm. where we lived last there and um 
Yeah, I mean, quite an emotional experience, mm. actually. And, you know, we were in a community right in the north of the state of Amapa. You can look on a map on, on Google and Google Kalsawani or um, French Guyana, and just below in the jungles, this l- little community hadn't been back in 12 years right. and had no way to communicate with people there that mm. I used to know. Went in and found someone who I was quite close with and went to his, like, shack, this little wooden shack, and he walked out, instantly recognized me, gave me a massive hug. Right. And we just hung out for a couple of days. Wow. And it was like, well, no time's passed. It's that's like, amazing. oh, it's funny you said in Portuguese, funny to see you. I was thinking about you last week. Oh. It's like, wow, that's, that's really, really cool. Yeah. So lots of ideas about um, social enterprise opportunities within that community. Right. And looking at the incredible resources they've got around them mm-hmm. and, and enabling a stream of revenue back to the community. Mm-hmm. Um, so very excited to begin to explore ideas there and have begun talking with um, with people we think we can that can help. Wow! So the circle continues, huh? <laughs> There's a loop there of yeah. the original, yeah. Because yeah. it sounds to me like that was quite a critical point in your life that you know the three years there really impacted what you ended up studying and um, uh, not studying. I mean, what impacted what you ended up um, focusing on? You know, education as being such a critical thing. Yeah, I, I think so as well, and I think we. You know, we have access to media and news in New Zealand, but we are, we grow up pretty isolated to actually understanding the reality. You know, we complain about a lot in New Zealand without realizing what we're talking about is the top 99% yeah. globally. Yeah. Um, spending several years living um, in a community that literally has nothing, yeah. you begin to see the world in a, in a different light. Mm. And, and it's, it's, it's education. That, that's what can get a whole community out of poverty we met two years ago actually when i met my wife uh, mm. in brazil mm. was having meetings with the lehman foundation in the south and george lehman's the the richest man in south america and his foundation uh, gives to some incredible projects but they have just started heavily investing in tech educational startups mm. last year they invested in 140 tech startups just focused on education just in brazil wow and um it's That's you cool. know, they get it and yeah. we also met with the Eton Center Foundation, who last year trained about 225,000 teachers. Mm. So the scale's massive, the challenge is massive. But, yeah. um, you know, to be able to make positive decisions, you need cash. To get cash, you need a job. To get a job, you need education. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, it sounds like there might be things you've learned with Code Club as well that you'll be able to apply over there. And Absolutely. And I mean, Code Club, in, in its essence, is 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 a startup. It's it's uh, it's a business that comes under a uh, charitable trust banner. Any income we get goes back into our charitable mission. Yeah. But has all the challenges of of mm. running a business, um, if not more, because we need to exactly. convince people to give us money based on the output that we're providing to others. Yeah. And it's been a real challenge to clearly communicate. The, the, the impact we're having by providing free education. Yeah. And I think that's been hard for people to, to grapple and hold on to. So right, the, right. the high-tech veggie garden, it's physical, you can touch it, and the lights are beginning to go on. Yeah, yeah, you can see that link. And But I think as well in the coming years, mm-hmm. as you say, well, look, see that 22-year-old who's just graduated yeah. and they've got this job and they've just started some new IT software. Yeah. 12 years ago, they were sitting in a class in Aranui High School, you know, like that there will be that direct link and then people, well, hopefully, you know, it'll switch on even more. Yeah. 
Well, Michael, it's been a pleasure to have you on the podcast. I just want to say thank you so much for coming on and talking. I've learned a huge amount. You know, we went places I didn't think we were going to go mm. <laughs> off to the Amazonian jungle. Yeah. Um, but it's been really special to hear. And, you know, that word purpose is clearly something that um, has kind of found its way through your life, I think, right from leaving high school and and what you were facing then as a child. It's like you're actually remedying you know, like if you could go back to yourself and give yourself the opportunity to be in Code Club, you know, I can kind of see a direct link there. So it's really mm -hmm. awesome to see. So thanks so much for coming on and look forward to seeing how it grows in the future years. Thank you. I look forward to coming back in five years and yeah, that'd be great. Let's sharing do it. how we executed. Yeah. Awesome. awesome. All right. Thanks, thank you. Stephen. Cheers. Well, I certainly hope you enjoyed that interview with Michael and hearing about his life story and how he came to start Code Club. I have a feeling that those primary school kids know a lot more about coding than I do, and I actually think I need to join in on one of those classes, so let's hope that they bring them out for adults soon. For this interview with Michael, I was trialing using a camera, and I've posted the video of that online at the Facebook page, so if you look up Seeds Talking Purpose on Facebook, you can actually watch the interview as well as listen to it on this audio podcast. On the next episode, we're going to be speaking with Dorinda Britton about design, and she has some fascinating insights on what that word actually means for businesses in New Zealand and around the world. Here's an excerpt of the interview with Dorinda. Yes, there are successful people, and every day I read of successful people from New Zealand. I've just been up at the Innovation Awards. I have a lot of admiration for people, but I don't think we do that any more than any other country. Mm. Really? Mm. Where is the evidence? Mm. And I think we have to. And I, and I think New Zealand has uh, an amazing, and I would say unique, opportunity to be different in the world. To We have got assets that a lot of countries would like to have. Mm. We're wrecking them. We're diminishing them. What if we actually created a country that valued its citizens and valued the environment in everything we did and created authentic products and services? Mm and showed the world how to do it. What if? Mm. That's what gets me out of bed every day. What could we be? Well, I hope you can join me for that next episode. Don't forget there's lots in the back catalog to catch up on. And if you enjoyed what you heard today, then please consider sharing this podcast with a friend. Until next time.